0: You're going to see a move away from the purely transactional chatbot, which is what we've really seen. These things kind of jump all over you, pounce and try and sell you something or do something for you. And they're very, very, very transactional. And you're going to see a move towards the types of conversations that are a little bit more open ended, a little bit more free form. Um, When humans talk, it's not transactional uh, all the time. I mean, if you walk into a fast food restaurant, and you order something, it might be. Uh, But a lot of the times conversations are discovery oriented, they're discursive, they meander, they're about discovery. Um, And I think you're going to start to see that type of chatbot start to emerge over the next five years.
1: That was Andy Morrow, the co-founder and CEO of Automat.ai, an exciting Montreal-based company that just received the largest Series A funding for any conversational business ever. And he was sharing some of his insights on how we can expect chatbots to evolve over the next few years. Today, we're going to be taking a deeper look at the emerging field of conversational marketing. We'll touch on where chatbots are today, where they're going, but more importantly, we'll be talking about what a business should be thinking about as it looks at how technology can affect its brand management, and of course, how it deals with customers in hopefully not such a spammy way as it does today. Yes, there are new ways to improve your brand value and deliver better business results. I'm John Pryor, and welcome to the Impact Podcast. Thanks for being here with us today, Andy. It's great to be here, man. Thanks. Andy, take us through your background, please. And and I think it would be helpful if you can address where you were with respect to voice recognition and now kind of where we are with, let me just call it text.
0: Um, I've been working in the conversational software space for like about 15 years. We did some of the first commercial IVR systems. Uh, I spent a good stint at Nuance working on uh, commercial IVR. And then while at Nuance, built the first enterprise mobile voice assistant, a thing called Nina that was deployed places like Geico and Bank of America, Wells Fargo, Domino's, Pizza, uh, Dom, their mobile voice assistant that's in their app currently was built by us. And then we started Automat a little over a year and a half ago to focus on more messaging, less speech recognition based types of conversational software, which I think is kind of an interesting story in and of itself, just because the world tends to think that the trajectory of tech is from text into voice. I don't actually think that's true. I've worked on voice for many, many years and have moved into text and into messaging. And specifically, you know, we've we've decided to focus in this area, again, that we call conversational marketing, really focused on helping brands talk to their customers, fans, and followers build sort of personalized one-on-one conversations with.
1: All right. So we think about conversational marketing and, and customer service. I've got websites that communicate with people. I got 800 numbers that people use to communicate with companies. I got IVRs. How do you see AI and NLP changing all this for the better? great question. Um, I, th- I think the first thing is it's not all about
0: AI. I think that's, and, and that's really been our journey as well. I mean, our whole company that has over, you know, the founding team of four has over 50 years experience working in conversational software. And I think we made the classic mistake. I think it took us, you know, a decade plus to learn the the lesson that, that a lot of people seem to know right out of the gate, which is, you know, not building tech for tech's sake. But I think that the AI field is guilty of that more so than, than other areas are. And the reality is, is that it's not going to be all AI breakthroughs. I think the technology needs to get to the point where it's not so focused on, again, transactions and trying to sell me something or trying to, to or, or only try to sell me something or only try to narrowly fit my customer service request or that kind of thing. I think what you're going to see is the tech is going to get better, but you're also going to see that the applications of it are going to get smarter. And I, I think. If you look at it through the long lens of history, the last 15 or 20 years where speech recognition first started to get commercialized, we're actually still dealing with a lot of the tech and design paradigms that came out of that. And let me be super concrete about that. Speech recognition, even if it was perfect today, the best it would ever be able to do is a walkie-talkie style conversation because what we're doing right now where... In a normal conversation, someone might say, "Uh uh-huh, and they give me sort of markers along the conversation where I know you're listening, I know it's making sense, all that kind of stuff can't be done because of the architectures of conversational software systems. They haven't actually been built in order to allow conversations that are natural in the way that people have conversations, which is even if I'm the one monologuing like I am right now, you're still present in the conversation. And I think we're going to see systems... That actually allow both in voice and in in speech recognition and in messaging type conversations where, you know, when you're chatting with someone, they don't wait to get your full response. You might be texting and you're texting back to them at the same time. I think, first of all, you're going to see broad architectural changes that are going to allow that type of conversation. And then we're going to see a move towards other interesting applications of the tech that aren't just customer service. I think our, our foray into conversational marketing, I think is one example of that. But I think for too long, we've looked at speech recognition and conversational software, primarily as an automation technology exclusively. And I think we're going to see people taking other uh, avenues of exploration. I think that's, that's also going to end up unveiling different ways to to use this software in, in different meaningful ways.
1: And then would you see this then helping you talk about marketing would you see this helping a brand and what are the risks and rewards if you get it right or get it wrong you know i
0: think it absolutely it's going to help a brand and let's sort of baseline where brands are at today again the last maybe 10 15 possibly years of digital marketing has really turned into what I like to call digital monitoring. And I don't necessarily mean that in a pejorative way. I just mean it in a fact-based way, which is on the web, it was really pixels and cookies to follow people around and track what websites they went to. And a lot of this was meant to be used in non-nefarious ways. It was meant to give you a better experience by knowing when you came back to a website and that kind of thing. And then, of course, with search, we track your search history in in order to provide contextually relevant ads. And I think most people would say something like Google has been net positive from an advertising perspective, you know, the ads are not in your face, but still you're being monitored. And then of course with social, you know, who are you friends with? What do you like? What do you read? What do you view? What do you watch? What are your political affiliations? And then based on all of that, uh, brands are allowed to do kind of two things with all of that data that gets collected. One, they're allowed to, or can send you display ads. So these are the, you know, ads that follow you around on the web. And you're like, why am I still seeing that? It's maybe a product you bought yesterday now that you're getting ad- everyone's had that happen where you're like I just bought that why is that being advertised to me now or you know you did a search last week and this thing is following you around the web or you get uh, marketing emails which most of us just call spam right so I'm not like morally opposed to the idea of the digital monitoring world it's kind of the world we live in but what I am opposed to is that brands spend billions of dollars effectively pushing content out to people customers don't really like nobody likes display ads and nobody likes spam but it's the only reliable way a brand has to drive a business result when they need to, you know, make sure that they can go sell things. And I think like any good salesperson knows, sales is actually a very empathetic um, activity. You know, you sell more when you actually know people and care about them and understand their needs and wants and desires. And I think what we're going to see with conversational marketing is the ability to at scale, be able to do a little bit of that. Today, we can already do some of that. We can learn a little bit about what someone likes. And based on that, be much more contextual about when we communicate with them and how we communicate with them. And that's just going to get better over time. And the benefits to brands are obvious. There's going to be economic benefit in terms of being able to um, sell more. But I think more broadly, brands have had to go... Have their customer communication be disintermediated by Facebook, by Google, by others, and by having a literal voice of the brand, they're going to be able to own that customer communication.
1: So you mentioned Facebook uh, as kind of a one way of reaching out to these people. So give us some examples. I think one that was interesting was your L'Oreal Beauty Gifter app. So talk about why Messenger and, and how that works.
0: Yeah, Messenger is really interesting, right? So obviously, Facebook's one of the most important companies on the planet. Messenger has, as of last communication, 1.2 billion people. And, And it's getting to the point where virtually everyone you talk to has the Messenger app installed. Facebook was very aggressive about decoupling the Messenger app from the primary Facebook app. And now it's led to this behavior where virtually everyone has that app and uses it. And it's got some big advantages, right? You don't need to have somebody's phone number. You can just type in their name. I use it all the time to reach people that I don't have their phone number, you know, that kind of thing. So it's just a really powerful platform independent of the chatbot capability that they have. But obviously having that many people on the platform and then they opened it up, you know, going on a year and a half now, I think April 2016 actually was when they opened it up to allow for bot technology. And so we've been as and what you've actually seen is literally hundreds, maybe thousands of bots that are pretty bad. Right? You look at them and you go, you go why, why isn't that just an app or a website? Right? like People, I think, have overestimated the friction-free aspect of Messenger. They sort of said, hey, you don't need an app download. Nobody downloads apps anymore. So this is going to solve all that. And while that's meaningful, it's not enough to change consumer behavior. Right? If there's something that's good enough, consumers will download the app. If it's good enough, they'll use the mobile web. And so, trends are never a good reason to sort of follow the herd. And so, when we looked at this, we said, What could we build that would really be messaging first, like the kind of experience that you would really only build on messaging and that would really make sense on messaging and, and in what industry? And we really focus a lot on beauty. Um, and beauty is a very interesting market because it's very consultative, it's very expertise driven. It requires a lot of inspiration to find products, it requires a lot of education to know how to use those products, be they uh, makeup or skincare products. And for a lot of people, beauty is really an entertainment industry. There's a whole thing related to influencers and, and makeup tutorials and all that. So it really is runs the gamut. Um, the other thing is if you go into any drugstore in North America, there's really only two skilled employees. There's a pharmacist, of course, but there's also a beauty and skincare expert. And that's because brands don't like to sell where they don't have uh, someone that knows the product. And so as a result, beauty is is a real focus area for us. And what we what we built with L'Oreal, L'Oreal's the you know, biggest beauty company on the planet, by far the third biggest CPG company on the planet, and they only do beauty. And so uh, a fantastic customer, really innovative. They move very, very quickly. And we partnered with them to build the first of uh, multiple uh, projects that we have going on with them, which we call Beauty Gifter. And Beauty Gifter was about solving a consumer problem and a business problem. The consumer problem is beauty and skincare is a very difficult gift to buy. Uh, whether you're a man or a woman, buying for someone else is very, very tricky. You don't know what makeup they like, what they wear, what their skin type is, you know, what tones will look good on them, that kind of thing. And as a result, uh, it's a, it's a tr- tricky gift to buy, even though beauty does a lot of business during the holiday periods. And on the consumer side of it, obviously, the the goal there is to drive up sales in, in a gift-oriented way. And so what we built was a bot that would allow, say, me, we launched it at Mother's Day, would say, allow me to buy for the mothers in my life and say, answer just a couple of questions and then send it to them and say, Hey, why don't you tell the bot? what you like. And then the bot will come back to me and give me some personalized gift recommendations. And so we've seen some really interesting results out of that. The women that receive it, primarily women, really enjoy going through the full questionnaire with the bot because it, they know that it's going to help them get a better gift. And the buyers have to do almost no work in order to get a really personalized recommendation. And they don't have to go to a store and talk to a salesperson and try and explain you know, what their wife or their mother... Uh, like So really sort of messaging first type use case and you see really high sentiment uh, ratings when we put buttons in front of people that say, do you like it? They go, yes, like the NPS is through the roof. The engagement is through the roof. And you know the read rates and open rates on messages sent from messen- messaging applications just destroy anything you see in email. We'll regularly see over 50% you know, open rates and read rates and the response rates even on those messages are incredibly high.
1: Wow. And you've got scale, you're replacing a skilled person that someone has to travel to and they can do it remotely. So that, that, that's a great example. So when you define the, the market opportunities you're going after, you're, you're looking to get out of this or, or not be in the simple transactional thing, but really kind of get into a value add offering where you've got skills that you that you're replacing or augmenting with this interface. I think that's part of it. And I mean, even if you look at some of the experiences we've built, I, I think
0: they're a little bit transactional. And we're learning as we go as well. Conversational marketing as a, as a focus area. I mean, we were really the first ones to start using that That term has been around. People have tried to use it you know, for email and other things. But in the messaging world, we were really the first to sort of pick it up. We were the first to say, we only do marketing as a use case. A lot of folks are saying, oh, we'll do service or we'll do entertainment or we'll do marketing. They're not really distinguishing they think that the market is conversational software and there is no conversational software market. There's a bunch of niche markets. The marketing one is is starting to to grow. And so that's where we're sort of focusing is, is in that space, looking to drive a disruptive amount of business value. Again, if you're a brand. Email and display market display ads are what you primarily have. And I think we started off transactional because it was the right place. Hey, could we sell more if we were pretty direct? And I think what we're finding, it's not that surprising in retrospect, is that messaging is a very, very intimate channel. And customers want to feel like they're actually communicating and being heard and being listened to. And if, so you're just trying to bash them over the head, selling them something. It doesn't work nearly as well as if you can actually have some type of meaningful conversation with them. And the interesting thing about that is that's where the tech comes in, right? Being able to actually having a mix of scripted on brand transactional flows mixed with generative, you know, flows that actually can just chit chat about beauty as an example, I think is where this is all going.
1: So how is a summit old marketing exec? How do you think then uh, KPIs are going to change? What, what should companies be measuring? The thing with
0: KPIs is, we're actually seeing a lot of the same K- old KPIs that you would have seen in any digital marketing forum, right? Which is things like engagement matter: do customers like the product? Are they using it? Uh, retention: are they coming back and staying in the product? That's important. CLV, right? Can we can we have somebody who is interacting with a messaging experience? Uh, can we up the CLV even if we're not even if we're not selling in that direct channel? All of those those things. Of course, there's also KPIs related to uh, NPS. Do people like the product? And finally, of course, conversion, right? But conversion can be many things. Conversion can be sales. Conversion can be booking an in-store appointment. There's many different ways to sort of measure conversion. So most of the metrics are the, the same old metrics that we'd be familiar with in any kind of digital marketing campaign just applied to this different channel.
1: Nice. I'm thinking about like the beauty gifter and what I might, you know, what you're what you would learn from that how do you manage reinforcement learning then and is it is it unique per app space is it is it is there cross company value that you can get as you learn tell me a bit about reinforcing learning and how these systems get better yeah
0: reinforcement learning is really really interesting i mean it's it's obviously deep learning is important but uh, reinforcement learning whether it's reinforcement learning or not is also a major technique uh, that sort of the best teams out there are leveraging, assuming you have real sort of AI capability in your team, which many, interestingly, many of the sort of chatbot vendors out there do not have. There's a lot of scripted chatbots out there that don't really use AI techniques, but Reinforcement learning can be used, and the primary thing we use it for is optimization, right? Which is, can I take a conversation and optimize it against a goal where that goal might be uh, the longest conversation, the most engaging conversation, the conversation that people want to share with their friends, the conversation that drives the highest NPS, or maybe the conversation that drives the highest sales, right? So, using reinforcement learning to have the machine modulate the dialogue and conversation towards a goal is a really, really powerful technique. And I think you're going to see the companies that are doing scripted, non-AI chatbots are not going to be able to take advantage.
1: Yeah, that's very cool because that's such a wide range of outcomes, you know, sharing a conversation or the longest conversation or NPS. I love that. As another cool example, uh, take us through what's going on with you in fintech and uh, this particular case, uh, National Bank of Canada.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, we have a lot of relationships in the, the fintech world. USAA Bank is one of our investors. They're widely known as one of the most innovative financial services companies in the world. And, you know, even though we're very, very focused on beauty, we, we take riders on different areas that we think are sort of interesting, especially when we think they have uh, broad applicability to the verticals that were also other verticals were focused on. And so, you know, with National Bank, um, we'll be launching that in the not too distant future. But um, it is a conversational marketing system. You know, there's no shortage of different types of bank virtual assistants, right? Take the fins of the world or the consistos of the world. There's video of me over five years ago now doing a demo where I did uh, voice banking, where I was doing things like pay the statement balance of on my Comcast bill for my checking account this Thursday and then make it no from saving things on Friday, right? Like really sophisticated stuff. The reality is nobody wants to do that. And you know, to, to any listener who's thinking about getting into this space as, as a customer, the number one piece of advice that would give, and it was very hard, hard fought, painful advice to learn, is that modality shifts or alternative interfaces don't work. So if I've got a banking app and I know how to pay a bill, I don't need to do it via voice. Consumers will not shift to that different channel because Because the the lingua franca of mobile is fingers and thumbs on a glass screen. People like tapping, it's error-free, it's predictable. Even if it's 30 seconds slower to pay a bill that way, it doesn't matter because it always works and I know how to do it. And so what we've seen is a lot of companies come along and say, oh, we're gonna make it easier and faster and more natural. And the reality is these interfaces when applied to transactions are not more natural than tapping a glass screen And, and people oversell the conversational part of it. So we are focused on, with national Bank conversational marketing, we're focused on saying, you know, a customer who has a need, maybe they are thinking about buying a house, doesn't often know where to start, right? And uh, the bank's opportunity in that moment in time is to detect that, understand it, and figure out what they need and what they want. And then based on that, figure out how to help them, right? And so is that getting them in? to a store, make scheduling an appointment with a real human being, like make all that stuff really, really easy and, you know, send the human being who you might be scheduling an appointment with, you know, a report about what does this person care about? That's, that's the way we think about it, right? Which is, it's not necessarily even about automating. It's just saying, let's make this really easy. Let's figure out where the customers are and let's get them into, it's really lead gen, right? Is the, so it is, it is again, a different type, the way that you do lead gen in financial services is very different than the way that you do it in beauty. But, you know, scheduling an appointment in a store as one example is, is something that has broad applicability, not only across banking, but also across beauty, right? Getting people into stores for consultations and all that kind of stuff. You
1: know, so I came to this you know recording with you thinking a little bit about, you know, you guys being very AI first and NLP-ish. And then I started thinking that it's a lot about conversational design or conversational user experience. And maybe it's all about empathy and figuring out what is it that the end user really wants and then you deliver it in the best mechanism you can. I'm not sure if that's right or not. Is that a fair conclusion or what's your sense on that? Again, like there's not many people that have
0: been doing it as long as we have, right? And and I, it goes back to, and I think you actually are 100% right. We were actually just talking about this yesterday, right? Which is, it's very easy as technologists to get very sort of left-brained about this and there's no shortage of really cool things that you can do from a technology perspective that will drive a business result. But there's been a comparatively smaller amount of time spent on the, the B to C side as there has been on the B to B side, right? And it's really, really important to think about that. And we do spend a huge amount of time thinking about that. And I think most of the mistakes we've made in the past have been that we've delivered incredibly cool tech demos and and listen we made a lot of money you know at nuance and other places you know other parts of the company come from tell me and, and other places like that a lot of money has been made d- delivering these experiences but let's be honest customer service as one example has always been about the b2b side of the business now it gets sold internally people say oh it's a great consumer experience it's more natural but the reality is is that a phone based ivr system if you hang up because you're frustrated, they count that as a win, right? That's like the dirty secret of of customer service automation. They say, "Oh, that call was contained. That that customer must have got what they wanted, not hung up and discussed." Right? And so, thinking about what it is that people want, and and looking at this through sort of a human lens is super important. And I think the balance for us has been how do you do that in a way that doesn't veer too far off into the the realm of design, the traditional kind of hooked design, you know, which Facebook uses and that kind of thing to suck me in and keep me in. I mean, you want to build a really successful product. And so you want it to be engaging and you want it, you know, people to come back to it. But let's be honest, like nobody wants to have conversations with brands every day, all day. But brands have a lot to win by reaching out in the right moment, in the right way with the right kind of thing to say and i think in that particular way um, that's really what we're seeking right i want brands brands to have a voice i want brands to be able to reach their customers in an engaging way that offers real value and in a few years time i look at success and i say when people say hey what's conversational marketing what do you do and we tell them they go oh that's really cool like I remember when, you know, we used to get all that spam email and all that junk thrown at us. I'm like, yeah, like I just bought something last week. It was really handy. knew exactly what I wanted, reached out and told me about it. Like, I don't think it's, It's the kind of thing that you're going to look at and go, the world is this massively better place because we're doing that. But I think the world will be a slightly different place. You know, and I think a lot better than the current world of just ads and email shoved at us to try and get us to buy. And I think when I work with companies, there's great people, right? I work at L'Oreal. There's just tremendously good people who care about their products and care about their customers. And that happens at every company that we do business with. People care. And I think the current digital marketing tools that are given to those companies to interact with their customers removes the humanity. And, it, you know, and, and the way I think about it is, if these customers that I work with that I know, these people who are great people, could sit down across the table from a customer, that customer would feel the passion for the product and feel how much that person cares about them. And it would lead to a great experience and probably a sale. And that's, you know, being able to bring that to the world and to give that ability to brands and give that experience to people feels like something that should exist.
1: What a great wrap up. Andy Morrow of Automat. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks, John. It's been fun. Machine learning, artificial intelligence, natural language processing are all technology enablers that are able to drive profound change in the relationship between a business and its customers. And from our perspective here at Georgia Partners, it's all part of the greater emerging trend of conversational business. Thanks for being with us for the Impact Podcast. I'm John Pryle.